Hey family, it's Pastor Bobby. I want to thank you for listening to the BCG podcast today. I pray that the message blesses your heart. 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to start reading with verse 8. Um, I may go kind of, I don't know that I'll read all of verse 8 through 37, but we're definitely going to talk about all of that. Second Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. Say amen when you have it. Amen. amen. It says, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. I want to stop there. I'm going to go on, but I want to stop there. And I want to talk about what is happening here. First and foremost, we need to understand that in the Old Testament, we've talked about this many times, but in the Old Testament, they did not have a Bible. Um, especially at this time, they did not have the, you know, they didn't go to their local bookstore and buy their, their KJV or NKJV or whatever. The representation at this time of the Word of God was the prophet. It was the prophet. The prophet spoke the word of the Lord. And what the prophet spoke, if he was hearing from God, was the word of the Lord. There was no questioning that. Oftentimes, and I'm just going to kind of insert this. This isn't what I want to... Oftentimes, people think that the office of the prophet today is the same as the office of the prophet in the Old Testament. It is not. Because today, we have the word of God. Do I believe that God still has the office of the prophet? Absolutely. Do I believe that God still speaks through prophets? Yes. But whatever they speak must line up with this word. If it does not, then it's not God. I don't care what a prophet says. I care what this word says. And if a prophet says anything outside of this word, then you can just... Push that to the side because the word take pre- takes precedent. We, we live in an unfortunate time where, where prophets have a tendency, prophets, I, I'm prophets, have a tendency to speak things. And then when you say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't line up with the word, they say, but I'm the prophet. You may, no, it don't work that way. That's Old Testament stuff. Now it must line up with the word. I just thought I said that in there. In the Old Testament, the prophet was a representation of the word of God. And so we see in the scripture, that Elisha came in, and, and the Bible says she was a notable woman. She had money. She had things. We, we're going to find that later on. She was a notable woman, and he, when he would pass by, because the prophet, what the prophet would do is the prophet would go from town to town, and he would, he would do things. He, the prophet spoke to kings, and, they, and they, helped, they helped decide what the nations did. He was very, you know, Elisha was a very influential in everything, especially since he spoke directly to God, and God spoke directly to him. But he would come in as he was traveling. There was, this was a place, obviously, where he would stop in, and he would fellowship, and they would feed him. And after a couple times of this happening, this woman says to her husband, says, I perceive, I think the, the, new, the King James says, I perceive, I see beyond what I'm seeing, and I perceive that this is a man of God. In other words, this is not just a normal person. (laughs) This is not just a normal traveler. This is a man of God. And so she says to her husband, she says, I want us to make him a room. I want us to build a room for him to be able to stay because I'm tired of him just passing by. I want him to be able to stay. And so 
He is a representation of the Word of God. He is a representation of the voice of God and the anointing of God. And what the woman was saying was, is I don't just want a passing experience with the Word. I don't want just a passing visitation of the presence of God. I want a habitation where He is there staying. Oh, come on. We've had enough visitations in the church. We've had enough coming to church and getting all, and then going back to our normal lives. Nothing changed, nothing transformed. But I believe that the church has to get back to where they desire. God, I want you to habitate me in every way. I want you to fill me up in every way. I want every part of me to be you. I don't want you to visit me. I want you to live with me. I don't just want a portion of, I want it all. I don't want just to hear a preacher preach and go, oh, wow, that was great, and then go back to my life. I want to be transformed by the Word of God. We must understand that the Holy Ghost will not dwell in an unclean temple. Oh, come on now. That's the Word. I thought me. That's the Word. I didn't make that up. That's not, that's not, that's not a nice quote that I heard on Facebook. That's the Word of God. It doesn't say, now listen, it doesn't say that he won't dwell in, a, in an unperfect because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. But I believe that when we get into a place where we begin to be sanctified by the Spirit, we don't talk about sanctification much anymore, but I believe in being sanctified. What does that mean? That means to be separated. Now back in the, back in the day, I always believed the sanctification was like poof, something that happened. And all of a sudden, you were completely perfect. Woohoo! I'm sanctified. Well, that, I've, I've, I've learned that that's not the case. We are, I believe we are to be sanctified every day. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I believe the sanctification is a process in which we enter into where God begins to separate us from the world. He begins to show in us the things that should not be there. That, and it's not a place... Sanctification, I know that, I know that the church has kind of portrayed it as a condemnation type thing but sanctification is not in any way shape or form condemnation sanctification is love and it is mercy it is God saying I'm transforming you into what I always intended you to be in the first place how do we step into sanctification by surrendering well let me tell you about the 45 steps to being no surrender that's that word that's that word, surrender, or submit. James said, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We need to step into that place of sanctification. And as we begin to be sanctified, God begins to reveal in us. Now, I don't believe, we've, all, we've often think, well, I, if I just pray enough, God will remove everything. I don't believe it works like that. I believe what God really does is he reveals through his word, through prayer. And he reveals to us the things that need to be changed. And then he gives us the power to change them. Not, oh, it's a, it's a magic thing. God, oop, you're sanctified. No, no, God reveals in us Things that, that are wrong in our lives, think, not, once again, he doesn't condemn us. He reveals in us the things that need to be changed. And then he says, he says to lay aside every weight and sin. So he, he puts it on us to say, I'm going to give you the power to resist the devil. You submit to me, I give you the power to submit and to resist the devil. Come on. This idea will... Well, what do, I, what do I need to do? I just can't seem, I just can't, you just need to pray, pray more and go to church more. And those are great. Yes, we all need to pray more. We all need to go to church more. We all need to study our Bible more. I get all of that. But that is not a magic formula to perfection in Christ. What God does is, is he reveals to us everything that doesn't belong. And he says, I have given you power through the Holy Ghost to overcome those things. Why, why do we teach otherwise? Well, it's easy because that takes everything off of us. And so when we have continued to live in something we shouldn't live in, then we can just say, well, God hasn't delivered me yet. Well, that's a lie. 
Because according to Scripture, we were delivered at the cross. We were set free at the cross. Come on. So that's sanctification. And I, I, I wasn't going to preach on sanctification this morning, but that's just a little something. That's a little sanctification stuff there. The woman says, we want the, we want, I want this man of God and what dwells in him, the word of God, the anointing of God. I want him to have a place to take up residence in me, in our home. Come on. Here's what she said. Please let us make, she didn't just say make a room. Because we don't just make rooms, we got to prepare them. Because with the presence of God, we see, she says, please make us an upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there. What does bed represent? Rest. Because with the presence of God comes rest. With the presence of God comes rest of the mind, rest of the spirit, rest of the body. He says, so put a bed for him there. And a table. What does a table represent? Fellowship. Fellowship. I've been I've been doing some study on early Christianity. And I'm finding how how important at the time. See, because they didn't do this. They didn't they didn't do what we do. Just, just so y'all know. They they did it in a form, not not, not like we do it. They, they met, they had, they had a day of worship and all that. Yeah. But a lot of what they did is they would come together and fellowship. They would come together. They would, they would, they would do the Lord's Supper. They would fellowship. They would speak to each other. They would, they, they would talk. They would have prayer meetings. I mean, the Bible speaks of prayer meetings. The Bible talks about the apostles and, and those who were part of the early church that they would go out, perform miracles, do all kinds of stuff. But then they would come back together and be, the Bible says, and be refilled with the Holy Ghost. See, we think of being filled with the Holy Ghost just that moment where we, where we speak in tongues and fall on the floor and, hey, we're good. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo, I spoke in tongues. Woo. That's wonderful. That's great. But there are times, obviously, if we're, not, if we're not using anything we have, we don't have to refill it. See, if I, if I fill my truck up with gas and I park it, there's never any need for me to ever fill up my tr truck again. Right? But if we're, if we're going about and we are doing the work of the Lord... And we are allowing the Spirit of God to work through us. Come on. And we are connected to that. Then he is constantly filling us. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is not a one-time event. Oh, come on. Oh, we've, 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 we've taught it like that oftentimes. It's just, well, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Woo, you're good. But it's not a one-time event. We should be filled every day. When we wake up in the morning, we should say, God, fill me anew with your spirit. Let me be refreshed by your anointing. I'm tired of the dull. I'm tired uh, of, the, of, the, of having no salt or savor to the salt. God, I want to be filled with your spirit. That should be our desire. God, fill me every day. It is not a destination. It is a beginning. There's a, his presence is a place of rest. And it is a place of fellowship. Fellowship with who? Well, fellowship, number one, with God. The, prayer is more than us just talking to God. It's more than just us talking. Now, come on. Now, we think with, with prayer is just us going, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, you need to do this. God, Prayer is communication and fellowship. It is fellowship with a God that we don't deserve to fellowship, but because of his son and of what he did on the cross, now we have the ability to fellowship with him, to sit down. He talks a lot about the marriage supper of the Lamb, <laughs> where we sit down, the, the, the last supper. Oh, come on. That's what, the, it's, it was not just about food. We all think it's about the food. I grew up in the church. Listen, I know how it works. You have a prayer meeting, two people show up. You have a dinner, the whole county shows up. 
when we were, <laughs> this is awful, when we were at the other church, there wasn't a lot of room in the back, so oftentimes if the food wasn't ready, everyone would kind of come into the sanctuary and just sit, wait for the food to get ready so they could get in line. That's just how we had to do it. And I was always complaining, Daddy was the pastor at the time, and I was always complaining about the fact that you, know, you get like 20, 25, 30 people in church, but when dinner happens, you have like 50, 50, 60 people show up. And of course, he was always like, stop. <laughs> and I had always said to him, I had always said to him, one of these days, we're going to get everybody here to dinner and we're going to preach. <laughs> so one, I don't remember what kind of dinner it was. I, we were having, I don't remember, Christmas dinner. I don't remember what it was. All I remember is everybody sitting in the sanctuary. And Daddy went, now, if you would, just go up and have prayer so we can, everybody can get in line. And I walked up to the pulpit. And I mean, we're, the church is packed, packed, but packed more than I'd ever seen it for a church service. It's packed. And I walked up and I opened up my Bible and I said, if you have your Bibles and the looks on people's faces, it was like sheer, it was sheer panic. Like I'm not here to hear the word of God. I'm here to eat. And then I laughed and when daddy looked at me like, what are you doing? I laughed and went, I'm just kidding. Everyone can just calm down. <laughs> and I'm not talking about the food. See, that's a part of it. That's what, but I'm talking about the fellowship. The, fe the fellowship with God. Sitting down and saying, Lord, speak to me. Not just let, don't let me just talk to you, God. Speak to me. Let me hear your voice. Give me direction. My Lord, there's so much noise in the world today that it is so hard to hear anybody's voice, especially God's. But I believe God's calling his people and saying, I need you to stop fellowshipping with everything else. I need you to fellowship with me. The table was a representation of fellowship. Because when we prepare our temple for a habitation of his presence, we live in rest and we live in fellowship. It's not something we do. It's not an event that happens. It is who we are. It is who we are. The next thing he says is, she says, and let's put a chair. A chair. What does a chair represent? It, re it represents stability and authority. What does a king sit on? Well, he sits on a throne. What is a throne? It is a chair. <laughs> it speaks of authority. Setting in something speaks of authority. Jesus, when he opened up the book and he said, give me the book of Isaiah, and he, he read to them and he said, he, sa he said, I have been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And he goes through all of that and then he says, he says, this day is that scripture fulfilled here. The Bible says he closed the book and he did what? He sat down. Why? Because sitting down represents a place of authority. And so when she talks about this, when she says, I want them to build a, 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 a bed, that, that represents rest. When he says, I want a table, that represents fellowship. When she says, I want a chair, she's saying, I want a place of stability and authority. Because can I tell you something, my God? If we are not submitted to the authority of God, we are never stable. We live in a rebellious nation. Americans are rebellious by nature. <laughs> we were created out of rebellion. You think that was wrong? Nope. But there's something in, there's something in us, and it's good sometimes, sometimes not so much, that says, I will not be told what to do and listen to me when it comes to the things of this world and, and, and government I'm good with that but when we come to our walk with God and people do they don't, they don't believe in authority come on and when we are not under authority then we are we are not stable when we do not submit ourselves to the authority of the Word of God and the authority of God, then we are... God has not called us to be lone rangers. Listen, I've run into them. 
I have seen with my own eyes. I could write a book about people who are just the most wonderful people in the world. They are. They're, oh, and, and they can put on a show for years until the moment when you don't do what they want you to do. Then there's a problem. All of a sudden, oh, and they like to use religion to do it. Because they, re I will not be told you will do what I want you to do or I'm going to make a mess and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. That is not living under the authority of the Word of God because the Word of God tells us that we must honor authority. Oh, come on now. Okay. And I'm not, listen, everyone, when I think, when we talk about this, everybody, oh, politics. I'm not talking about politics. Okay. Leave the politics outside the door. I got time for that garbage. I'm talking about living under the authority of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care. I don't care how long you've been living. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. The word of God applies to you just the same as it applies to everyone else. If it's wrong for one, it's wrong for the other. And so, in order for us to live in stability, we must live under authority. God did not call us to be rebels. As a matter of fact, here's what God said about rebels. He said, rebellion is of the spirit of witchcraft. I've seen, I've seen this firsthand. I have seen people who are just the sweetest, wonderful people in the world turn on a dime when being told that you're not going to do what they want you to do. I've seen it. I'm sure you've seen it too. People who want to control. And when they can't control anymore, then all of a sudden they get angry. And they turn into a whole different person. Why? Because they refuse to live under authority of the Word of God, and therefore they become unstable. When we, listen, this Word isn't just, this isn't just a book. How many understand there have been millions and billions of books written throughout the ages? Come on. There are all kinds of books. There are what we call the classics and all these things. But can I tell you something? That this book does not line up with those. This book is an authority. And if we do not submit ourselves to the authority of this word, then what we then Christendom as a whole is over. When we begin to live our lives according to some other philosophy, according to some other teaching, then what this word, if we begin to be, if we begin to be controlled by things other than this word, then we are no longer living under the authority. Therefore, we do not have the stability that comes with living under the authority of the word of God. And so he, she says, we need to put in a chair a representation of stability and a representation of authority. And then she says, and a lampstand. A lampstand, a representation of what? Light. <laughs> Lamp. So he would have light. And the Word of God tells me that Jesus is the light. We see, this, we see this also in the book of Revelation where he tells, he tells the church, he says, if you do not turn and go, go back to who you should be, if you don't do your first works over, I will come in and I will remove what? The lampstand, the light. How many understand that we live in a world where darkness is prevalent in the world? And just to be honest, that darkness is talked about more than the light is. Even among Christians. I have, I have not been called to speak of the darkness. I have been called to speak of the light. We, we get, there, there, there's a loudmouth preacher. I should, see, I, I'm not supposed to say stuff like that. Whom I just love. And that's sarcasm. Who needed his weekly, his weekly Facebook attention. So he decided to have a book burning. And he's going to 
He's going to burn all the Harry Potter books. He's going to burn all the Mason stuff. He's going to, and they had this huge bonfire and blah, 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 blah. And everyone was like, that's what all churches should do. And I'm going, why are people so dumb? Why do, <laughs> what good is that doing anything? You think, you think they burned every Harry Potter book that was ever written? Absolutely not. What's the matter? You think they burned? No. It was nothing more than to get attention. Listen, if we, and, and it's putting focus on darkness. Preachers who talk more about demons than they talk about Jesus. Well, Pastor, do you believe that, that there are demons? Absolutely. I believe in all those things. I believe in deliverance. I believe in all those things. But I will not spend my time giving them credence when I serve a God who overcame them. I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of all the... And we, we did this back in the 80s, too. I was thinking about this. This was a big thing back in the 80s that when we had records. How many remember records? We had records. And so we would have, we would have, we would have secular music record breakings. How many of you you've had, That's a long time ago. Still more records. Didn't change anything. It was a good show. And that's, that's, that's what the church is trying. It's like the church is more, they are more concerned about putting on a show than they are actually seeing change. And listen, I've been in the church my whole life. Literally, I can promise you that chances are, I don't know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't old enough to remember, but chances are the Sunday after my birth, I was in church. And have been has have been in church ever since. You understand? And I am at a point, I will be 45, and I'm at a point where I am so tired of the show. I want to see something happen as it lasts. I want to see something that happens that actually changes the city. And doesn't just put, put, give us something we can put on social media to make it look like we want to change the city. I want, I want to see God do something so great that we don't need social media to tell anybody. Whew. Come on. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the show. I'm tired of people not, not choosing, my God, not choosing the place of worship according to whether or not the Spirit of God is there, but choosing a place of worship considering whether or not they are entertained enough. Oh, come on now. We've got to stop. We've got to stop. We've got to, we've got to get in the Word. We've got to allow people to be discipled by the Word. How about my opinions? Listen, I got all kinds of opinions. As many opinions as I give, I don't even give a portion of the opinions I have. I'm opinionated by nature. Just, just, just to be honest with you. I've learned not to, not to get, because just the fact is my opinions normally don't help. Normally my opinions are just a whole, it just causes more problems. So I've learned just to, in most cases. Just. But you know what God thinks about my opinions? Not a thing. Being opinionated doesn't make you anointed. In most cases, it makes you annoying. How do you know? Been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. I don't care. Who, care. Who cares about man's opinion? We don't, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says, go forth and preach your opinion. Come on. We need to bring people into the light. And the fact of the matter is, if church was burning with Holy Ghost fire, we wouldn't have to have bonfires. It's funny, these same preachers, they'll, they'll, they'll ran against smoke machine and collared lights. You're doing the same stuff, just a different way. You're doing something to get attention, period. Come on. Okay. 
I love it. I love it how people will preach against things, things that entertain. They'll preach against the things they don't do to entertain and ignore what they do to entertain. Okay. Because entertainment comes in all forms. Entertainment can come in contemporary Christian music and can come in Southern gospel music. It can come in hymns and it can come, it can come in modern worship. Entertainment comes in all forms. Entertainment can come in skinny jeans and a cool haircut. And entertainment can come in a three-piece suit. It's all the same. I, I, I saw a clip of an independent Baptist preacher who, was, who spent 15 minutes preaching about the length of young men's hairs and people, length of young men's hair, and was just, I mean, was, and people were like, praise God, hallelujah, and God don't care. Spent all of their time preaching their opinions. And God don't care. He doesn't care how long my hair is. I used to think he did, but he doesn't. He doesn't care how my short, short my hair is. Come on. And people spend time when we're supposed to be teaching and preaching the word, talking about stuff that mean nothing. And the church, in their ignorance, amens it and shouts, thinking they've, they've, they've reached something. I'll move on. A lampstand. I don't know how we got from a lampstand to that, but we're there. I'm moving back. Turn around. A lampstand is the light. If we are showing the light of Christ, we won't have to put, we won't have to put our entertainment as a part of it. Because listen... People are drawn to light. True light. Not, not our light, but the light of Christ. You want to change a city? Let his light shine bright. Let's not complicate this thing. People can say, well, Clarksburg needs this, and Clarksburg needs that, and Clarksburg... Let me tell you what Clarksburg needs. Clarksburg needs a revival of the Spirit and the power of God. And that begins in the churches. We can't expect it to hit the streets when the churches don't even have revival. Oh, are you sure? Because there's all kinds of people, and people are doing all their things. No, if we were seeing revival, we would have already seen this city turned upside down. Facts. Don't, 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 don't tell me how the church is doing things right when we're not changing the world. And if we're not changing the world, then how in the world are we going to do any? If we're not changing the world, then we haven't connected to him like we should. Because my Bible tells me that when the apostles started doing what they should do, that they turned the world upside down. Listen, the church ain't turning the world nothing. The only thing the church does most of the time is turns the world's stomachs. We need, to, we need to shine the light of Jesus Christ into a world that needs it. They don't care about our doctrine. Is doctrine important? Absolutely, yes. But, but let's not put the cart before the horse. <laughs> I'm not, we're not going to go out into the streets and go, listen, I need you to know my church's doctrinal statement. Because drug addicts don't care. You, know, you want to know what drug addicts care about? They, if they want delivered, that's all they care about is I need to get free. Please help me to get free. And our doctrinal statement's not going to do that. What's going to do that? The spirit and the power of God working in us and shining through. That's what's going to bring deliverance. Then we disciple them. Then we teach them. Lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in here. We need to ask ourselves something this morning. Have we, are our hearts and our souls prepared for the Holy Spirit to take residence? Or do we only want the Holy Spirit when it's comfortable for us? I'll never forget... I was at a youth conference of some sort. I don't remember where it was. It's been a long time ago. But they did a skit about a young... They, it, was, it was at a church camp, I believe, I think. I don't remember. But they did a skit about a young girl 
who had just come back from church camp. And as she's walking into her, out of church camp, Jesus is walking with her. And she's walking and she goes back to her home and she gets back to her home and Jesus is walking everywhere she goes. Jesus is walking with her and then her phone rings and it's one of her friends and they're saying, hey, we're going to go out and party tonight. Why don't you come out with us? And she says, well, and she looks at Jesus and says, yeah, yeah, I'll come. And she puts down the phone and tells Jesus, you need to stay here. I got somewhere I need to be. And as she goes to walk out, Jesus follows. And so she walks back in and says, no, Jesus, you, you, you need to stay where I'm going. You don't want to go. You need to stay here, please. Thank you. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll do my devotions when I get back. But be, and she walks out, and as she goes to walk out, Jesus follows. And so she walks over, and she grabs a hammer and three nails and nails Jesus to the cross again and says, I need you to stay here. Because the Bible tells us that we can crucify him anew. I'm talking about being prepared for a habitation which causes us to not go or be a part of anything that would offend him. Are we prepared? Do we have a heart that says the same things that God hates, I hate? The same things, not people, things that God hates, I hate. The same things that turn the stomach of God turns my stomach. Or, or do we like it? Are we prepared? Are our hearts prepared? So, this woman obviously had a, she perceived what was going on and she says, I'm going to, I'm going to prepare a place because, because there's something about this man. There's something about, there's something in him that makes me want to have him in our presence anytime that we possibly can. Here's what happens. And it says in verse 11, and it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room. I, I like how it's called the upper room which we can go into how they, the, the prayer rooms at that time were actually normally a small room above the porch. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to, Ge, to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Because when we make a place for the spirit and the power of God, he will do what needs to be done in our lives. Listen, I still serve a God who answers prayer. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. Basically what she was saying was, if I want to speak to the king, I can. <laughs> if I want to, I have influence. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. Now, you have to understand at this time, to not be able to bear a son was considered a curse in those times. Now, not just being able to bear children. If you were not able to bear a son, it was considered a curse. And so he says she has no son, and her husband's old, which means she's not going to have a son. So he called her. So he said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, About this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. In other words, here's what she's saying. This is what she wanted. And she was saying, Don't tease me. 
Please, don't, don't give me hope if there is no, my God. Don't give me hope if there is no hope. Don't, don't tell me I can receive something if I can't receive it. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want it to be the carrot that is pulled away at the last minute. I, I, if you're going to say it, please let it be so. Because that's what the world does. Man, the world paints a beautiful picture of if you follow us, if you do this, this is what will come out of it. And then... You are never fulfilled the way you want to be. But that's not what God does. If he promises something, he gives it. Are you hearing me this morning? But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointment time had come. Notice there. She conceived and bore a son when? When the appointed Time had come. That word is kairos. Not chronos, kairos. Chronos is time. I didn't want to watch. Time. When we, look, when we look at our watches and we go, okay, it's 10.30, time for church to start, that's chronos time. Kairos time in the, in the original, it is, it is an appointed time. A time that is boom. Not only is it appointed time, but it is a time appointed by God. I personally believe that, that right now the church is coming into a Kairos moment. I believe we've already entered into it. question is, what will we do with it? Okay. At the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her, and the child grew. Now we're moving forward a few years. Okay. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. So she said to a servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him, and it just like some fathers, <laughs> carry him to his mother. Um, when, she, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. Now, imagine here for a moment. This is just a few years later. The prophet had promised this woman a son. She bore a son. And then he died unexpectedly. The promise had been fulfilled, but then taken from her. Verse 21, let's see how she responds. And when she went up and laid him on the bed, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. She didn't take him to her bedroom. She laid him on the bed of rest. She shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. That's an interesting response, isn't it? Then she sat on a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward to not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that, she, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, It is well. Now, come on now. Her son's dead. She's there for the purpose of of telling the man of God, my son's dead, yet when he asks, is everything okay? She says, it is well. Why? Because no matter what she was seeing, she knew that she had been promised something and that God is not slack concerning his promises. And so even when the prophet says, is everything well, her son's dead, but she says, it is well. Why? Because she was speaking those things that are not as though they were. Because even though her circumstance said things weren't well, her faith said that they were. Whew. 
Even though her circumstance said it's over, the promise is over, her faith said, no, my God promised me a son and I'm going to have my son and he's going to live. She spoke by faith and not by sight, my God. And I believe that it is time that we as the church start speaking our faith instead of speaking our doubt. It is time we start speaking our faith instead of speaking what we see around us. We must hold on to the promise because if God said it, that settles it. It is well. I wouldn't have thought it was well. Are you with me this morning? Come on. She wasn't speaking out of what she had seen. She was speaking out of what she knew to be true. And what she knew to be true is that God promised her a son. And even though the enemy tried to sever that promise, she knew that God would restore what the enemy had tried to take away. My God, my God, I feel this this morning. Listen, we've got to believe. We've got to stand firm. We've got to have faith that this word is true, that his promise is true, and that no matter what we see, no matter what we're going through, no matter how bad it seems, that our God will come through. It is well. Do you hear me this morning? My Lord, it is well. Well, but you don't understand how things look. I get it. But it is well. Verse 27. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. I mean, she ran up and grabbed his feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand. And be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. He wasn't even going to go. Come on. And she said, I'm not leaving you. <laughs> You're the rest. You're the light. You're the security. Come on. We, we must not walk away from the presence of God when things go wrong. We must wrap ourselves around his feet and say, I'm not leaving. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how bad it may seem. I don't care how distraught I may feel. I don't care how discouraged that I am. I'm not leaving you. It reminds me of Thomas who when Jesus was going to go to Bethany and they said, Pastor, you can't go to Bethany. Lazarus is already dead. And if you go back there, they're going to kill you. And Thomas said, if he goes and dies, then I will go and die with him because I would rather be, I would rather be dead with him than to be alive without him. See, we must understand that in the times when we don't understand, those are the times we must find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. He went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, my God, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. Because some, 
Listen, I believe that the anointing is tangible. I believe that. I believe what the Word of God says. That if there be any sick among you, call upon the elders of the church, lay hands on the sick, and they shall anoint them with oil, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I believe all of that. But I believe there are times when we have to be face-to-face with Christ. Sometimes a preacher can't do it. Sometimes the church can't do it. Sometimes those that we love, they can't do it. Sometimes we've got to be face-to-face with Him. He returned and walked back forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times. That's interesting, isn't it? That he sneezed seven times of all the things he could have done. He sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Now, I need you to think about what has happened here. God promised something. She received that promise, but the enemy tried to destroy it. But she believed God anyways. And God breathed breath back into the life of her promise. That's what faith does. That's what having a place where he is a habitation in our lives does. It makes us believe even when things are unbelievable. It makes us have hope even when things seem hopeless. It makes us have have a future when it seems like there is no future. That is what faith does. I want to encourage you this morning to have faith. I want to encourage you this morning to believe the unbelievable, to not, to not look around at what you see, but look around what God has promised. Look at, look at the promise. We used to sing the song, Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. And sometimes we have to stand on the promises when we have nothing else. We must make sure that our hearts and our souls and our bodies are prepared to have a habitation because in the midst of that habitation, our faith is rooted and grounded. Faith in the Word of God does us no good if the Word of God does not have a habitation in our lives. See, some people think that just quoting a scripture does it. Some people think, well, you know, I'm not going to have, the Word of God is not going to be prevalent in my life, but if I need something, then I'm going to quote Scripture. Then I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to stand. And if we don't have a habitation of this Word, see, the Word of God, (laughs) we must have the Word of God in us for faith to respond to. Well, you better have Scripture for that. Well, that's easy. Faith cometh by and hearing word of God so just to have faith is nothing if we have not made a habitation for the word of God because our faith responds to the word of God in us that's why it's so important that's why it's so important to hold on to believe to stand And to know that God is in control of the situation. Because why? Because he has promised it to you. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. The enemy is a master of bringing hopelessness to people. You want to know what I believe, and this is just an opinion, I guess, but from what I see, the thing that kills hope more than anything is to be promised something and to not have it come to pass. To believe and have your hopes built up to something and then have it taken away from you. 
There comes a point after that happens so many times that hopelessness begins to take root in our lives. And we begin to say, you know what? I'm tired of the roller coaster. I'm tired of hearing the promises and not seeing the promises. Come on. It's in those moments even things like prophetic words just make you shrug your shoulders. Well, that's awful. I'm just, I'm just being honest. There comes a point where we have to see something. But we must continue to believe or we will never see. If we allow hopelessness to take root in us instead of faith, then we will live in hopelessness and not in faith. Hold on to your promise. Hold on to the word of God. When the enemy begins to try to tell you that there is no hope, you begin to give him back the word of God that has been instilled in your spirit. You begin to quote scripture to him. You begin to tell him, hey, you're a liar because my, my Bible tells me that this is my promise. This is what belongs to me as a child of God. That's what faith is. What does this world need? Hope. Hope for a future. World's trying, I mean, listen, there, I don't hear much hope. Even among the church, I don't hear any hope. I hear, eh, it's all coming to the end. Things are just going to get worse, so we might as well just dig in. Hope Jesus comes back soon. That's not hope. Well, it's hope for me. I'm a Christian. Yeah, but it's not hope for the people out there who aren't. That's selfish of what that is. Well, as long as I get out of here, who cares about everybody else? That's not hope. And if, if anybody should bring a light of hope, we should. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where we gain our hope. You want to you know why there's a lack of hope even in the body of Christ? It's because the focus is not on Christ. The focus is on the things of this world. And the fact is, is that we cannot bring hope with the things of this world. Listen, the Republican Party is not going to bring you hope. The Democratic Party is not going to bring you hope either. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, anybody else who tries to step up and be the savior of this nation is not going to bring you hope. They're men who like power. And the fact of the matter is, is that the only way that we're going to receive hope in this nation is by beginning to lift up the name of Jesus and letting his word be the foundation for everything. If you're listening today and you have promises and you have things that it seems like that hopelessness has settled in and the enemy's tried to tell you there is no hope, I'm going to tell you that the devil is a liar and that what God has promised in his word is it is. Without a shadow of a doubt, it is. So you must, I'm going to encourage you to stand upon the word of God today. I don't care what you see. And I, listen, I'm preaching to myself. I don't care what you see around you. I don't care what the circumstances is. We must stand on the word of God. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, thanking you and praising you for your word this morning. I pray, God, that everyone under the sound of my voice, whether they be in this building or over live stream, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, you would once again let hope rise in them, Lord. We stand upon your promises. We stand upon what your word says, God. Not what man says, but what your word says. And Lord, we, we ask, God, that your word would be prevalent in our lives. It would be the foundation of everything that we are. Let our hearts be prepared, our minds be prepared to receive your word and your anointing and your presence in our lives. I pray, God, if there'd be one listening, watching today who does not know you as Savior, I ask, God, right now you would begin to deal with their hearts and, God, that you would touch them. You would let them know that there is hope out of their circumstance and out of their situation. God, I speak into circumstances and situations this morning, and I pray, God, if there's any who's about to give up, Lord, I pray, God, you lift them up, Lord. God, you, you lift them up out of their place of hopelessness, God, and you put them back on the path of faith, Lord. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, God, you would do the work, God. I pray for this house.
God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way. Lord, let us be a light in a darkness. Let us be light in darkness, God. Let us be a lighthouse. Let us shine in, the, in places that light cannot go. But let us shine your light. God, we, we pray, God, that we would carry hope. That we would carry hope, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name, Lord. Every, every need, God, let it be answered. And we'll give you praise, we'll give you honor, and we'll give you glory. In Jesus' name.